What's up? Georgia, I need to get into the crime prevention building. I left all my podcast stuff and we're recording tonight. Can you let me in? Actually, I can just let you in on my app. Hang on. There you go, you can go on in. I love that she can let me in with the app. That is so cool. All right, yes, oh, yep, yep. Thank you so much, you're the best. Since 1975, crime prevention has helped to protect homes, families, and businesses. Stay in touch with your business from anywhere with their app. View cameras, control your thermostat, even access control. Worry less and connect more with crime prevention. You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast for you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and my co-host is Michael Dees. What is up, man? What's up, man? This is like the first episode of season three, right? Dude, can you believe it? 105, right? This is right? episode, you guys, you're here for a very special episode. Oh, come on. Wow. <laughs> episode 105, start of year three, baby. Can you believe it that we are starting year three? Dude, that's wild. I mean, I know it's like year three plus a bunch of extra content because we did the coronavirus sessions. That was basically right. like a year's worth. But I only came like in like years. episode like maybe 40-ish, so it's like, you know. Yeah. Well, are you excited, man? Year yeah, three? I'm stoked. Season three? Dude, Let's I love this stuff. Let's go, I'm excited man. to get into it. Out of all the episodes that we've done, at least together since since your time with me, like which one which one sticks out is like, man, that was the that's, best episode. That's the magic question, right? So I'll always remember my first episode was with Ahmad Black. That was a great episode. Uh come on. he uh said, come on. <laughs> come on. Joel's uh, like, come on. I love love watching him as a as a gator, as a buck, and he was just a super down to earth guy. So I love that one. Um but yeah, some of the other ones, I mean, James DeVadrillio stuck out, John Spence stuck out, uh Dr. Joe Johnson recently. Um that was a really good one. Um, I mean, there's there's been so too many. There's been too so many to many. pick a favorite. Yeah, too many. To Today's gonna be the favorite. Today, today's <laughs> today, gonna be today the starting one. the new favorite. Let's yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to get into it. But you guys, before we do, you know, we absolutely have to thank our incredible sponsor. Um, you know, there are a handful of companies in Gainesville that are trusted hometown favorites. One of those is Crime Prevention Security Systems. You guys, or CPSS, as you see on the signs all over town. Um, this family owned an operated secure company was started back in 1975. Today, they are the local leader in securing families, homes, and businesses, and this is real security, you guys. Professionally installed and monitored, which is what you want when it comes to protecting those you love. The CPSS team is crazy passionate about what they do. It shows in the quality of their work, and it explains how they've earned the trust of thousands of your friends and neighbors that they proudly serve. Make sure to visit them online at cpss.net forward slash whoa. whoa I always forget like I always tell everybody go to cpss.net but if you go to forward slash whoa there's like special stuff there Ooh, special stuff special stuff <laughs> cpss.net forward slash whoa crime prevention security systems thank you so much for your investment into us and for sponsoring our show and for your investment into the Gainesville community more importantly we really appreciate you guys thank you so much that's right you ready to Let's get into do it, it. Today on the show, we have Mike Patz and Joel Romulus 
pastors at Greenhouse Church. Guys, welcome to our show. Thanks a and lot, I, and man. And then I messed what's it up. Up, I said, Romulus, up? I said Romulus, 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 Joel Romulus. Joel Romulus, no problem. So, Glad to be here, I knew I'd mess that. Like, I, always, I told you guys, I always mess up last names. That's what I do. I'm famous for it. So you guys, welcome to our show, man. Thanks for having us. So we absolutely love to kind of dive into stories first. Yeah. We really want to hear like your story, how you got to where you're at today. So, uh, you know, you can just shuffle it back and Joel, forth. Joel, you can you, go first. Joel, you want to go first? Sure, I'll All go right, first. Man. Let's hear awesome. it. Awesome. So, uh, I am born and raised in Miami, Florida, to Haitian parents. Uh, my family migrated here in the late, early 80s um, as immigrants uh, from Haiti to Miami. And um, my journey kind of got started where I grew up, my parents were, were loving parents, um, and they really nurtured and instilled in me faith. Faith was a big part of our homes. I joke around and say, going to a Haitian church, it was an all-day affair. Um, my mom would have us there to the crack of dawn, and that really laid the foundation for my life of belief in God. And I had my moments as an adolescent where I strayed away, kind of wanted to explore the world, did my own thing, and it was the faith of my mother, the prayers of my mother that brought me back uh, to my faith and to my relationship with God. And so that kind of led me to really want to ponder and think like, man, what do I want to do with my life? What What is it that I want to be remembered for, the legacy that I want to leave? And in my earlier years, I had a mentor and, and coaches that poured into me and really helped show me like, man, this is the path that you can go on. This is the legacy that you can leave. And they invested in me, encouraged me, uh, loved me as their own. And so that really left an indelible mark on me in terms of like, you know what? I really want to serve people. Like I have a genuine desire to love and serve people. And so um, fast forward to uh, where I am now, I just, man, my, my desire is to lead people, is to serve people, is to be a voice for the voiceless. Coming from my background, which is um, Haitian background, back in Haiti, there's a lot of poverty. Uh, my parents didn't have much. We didn't have much growing up. And so that led me to have a heart for the poor, a heart for the downcast, and to use whatever influence, power, leverage I have to, to help others. And so that's kind of what led me in the ministry. I'm currently now studying uh, at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, finishing up school there to get my master's in divinity. And um, that's, that's kind of a little bit about me, man. Cool. So what got you up to Gainesville? Yeah. So while I was down in Miami, I studied at uh, Gordon-Conwell, studied international business. And having this call, I was like, man, I, I, I have a desire. I have some entrepreneur dreams and desires and aspirations, but at the same time, feeling called to ministry. And so I end up getting invited to Greenhouse um, by a good friend. There was a Greenhouse South Florida. So Serge, shout out to Serge. He invited me out there. And while I was out there, it was like, hey, you got to come up to the, the main campus. There's this breakthrough weekend. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And so I decided to come and check it out. And that was then I met, you know, I met Mike and Robbie. Um, and that really was a, a impactful moment for me while I was up here. And so that led to me kind of thinking through like, man, Lord, if you really have it on, you know, as a plan for me, I'd love to come up to Gainesville and partake in what they had as an internship. And so I end up coming up, doing the internship, that led me to joining staff. And so I've been a part now for going on six years, being a part of Greenhouse staff and 
serving people, which was my dream. You're also the chaplain for the Gator football team. So I am. This nice. is the shepherd. This is the shepherd <laughs> of the Gator football team. Yeah, I am. I am. So yeah, that's that's another really cool, unique story. Um, I played football all throughout high school. And was, I would say, really good. You know, I think I was a top 20 running back down in Miami. And <laughs> in Miami, football is a religion. I mean, Gainesville, the Gators, it's a religion. But in yeah. Miami, just so you know, high school football mm-hmm. has probably not just as much hype as Gator football, but it's right up there in terms of, like, fans and people getting involved. And so I was playing, and I had a dream. I was like, you know, Lord, I want to be the Tim Tebow. I want to serve you here and use my platform. And uh I end up my senior year having multiple concussions that caused me not to be able to play. I had a couple of division one offers to go and play. um, And so I just decided to kind of hang that up. Uh, Fast forward, coming up to Gainesville, transition with, uh, I think it was Muschamp and McIlwain. And my high school, one of my high school coaches was on that staff. So it just ended up being like this kind of mix of like uh, destiny or, or just divine God's hand in it. And he's like, hey man, I. I'd love for you to come around, be around the guys, you know, be positive, share and, and mentor. And that led to uh, me being the chaplain. So I, I've been doing that for about five years now as well and have a heart for athletes, pouring into them, investing in them. And yeah, it's been a fun journey. Very cool. Yeah, man. Love it, man. <laughs> Mike, it was your story, man. Yeah, man. I came up here to go to UF as well. I just came up as a normal run-of-the-mill student uh, with quite a few friends from high school. And about three hours before a party on a Friday night, I had this encounter with God in the backyard of a church. And I skipped the party, went to that church that Sunday morning, and it's the only church I've ever been at ever since. And now I'm the, the pastor, you know, so... That's like that's like the very short version of my story. That's a super short version. I feel like there's super a lot short. of details missing. Yeah, there. no, there's yeah, there's been a lot of. Jo- I mean, obviously, I met my wife up here. I, I I saw her. We now have eight children. She's incredibly fruitful as a woman, and uh, if I sneeze just about, she gets pregnant. And so that's why, we've got, <laughs> that's why we've got so many children, and we've taken this whole church growth thing very seriously. You there know, you if go. we're going to grow this church somehow, one way you know, or the other, we're growing this thing naturally and supernaturally. I'm, I, I like to say I'm the super in his natural or he's the super in my natural whatever so oh, so yeah man i love it and it, it just it's become a passion for me too I, I think one of my one of the things i appreciate about what you guys are doing is there's a real value on leadership and i feel like if anyone's going to be good at leadership it needs to be the people that have the values that are actually worth embracing you know yeah. so so have really trying to reinforce and create culture creation is really important to me and so I think some of the vision that I hear you guys doing on these podcasts, and I hear what you guys are trying to even do in Gainesville, saying, "Hey, let's let's have Gainesville have a vibe to it. Let's let, let there be a culture to what we're doing." So, so I'm pretty passionate about that, and I think we'll get into some of these things as it relates to justice and race and um, things along those lines as well. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into it. Um, before we do though, so I have a question. I have a question that I've always wanted to ask people who lead a church. Okay. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Okay, do okay. we make out with our wives? Yes, we do. We do. We, we make no, out no, with no, our no, wives. The Bible actually says you need to rejoice in the body of your wife. Like, yeah, that's does. what it says. It does Doesn't say it say that? that? So it does. anyone that's listening to this right now, just biblically speaking, you're supposed to lay your hands on your wife. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> to my wife, Shannon, make sure you are listening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, okay. So from... I've always been fascinated with the the business aspect of a church. 
Okay. So, because I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, this, this is what I do. Like, um, business, right? <laughs> so, like, when, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to forgive, right? But, like, when you, when you really have to fire somebody, like, when somebody's really not doing a good job and you have to fire somebody, like, I mean, how many times do you forgive them before you actually just, like, let them go? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, absolutely, Mike. That's, <laughs> Is that, Mike, uh, like, that's have, in have Mike's court. Fire, I've never had to fire somebody. Have you had to fire sure somebody from the church? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who, who is listening to this right now? <laughs> who, who, who put you up to this question? No, right like, now? Just, it's, so that's so the question every question I that I ask is like genuine, like well, genuine so, questions. So here's that the I'm thing, like, man. Actually, here's the thing. So like, so for us, so like this. Okay, I, I can only give you. This is the only church I've ever been at. So let's just get. Let me qualify this. I already told you, as soon as my life changed, this is the. Oh, I mean, I just started going as a college student that 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 was surfing on the top of cars, and the old people were like, "What's wrong with Mike Pats?" And so then when I became the pastor, they're like, oh, "Dear Lord, that's my pastor now." So, so I've only got one experience, and the downside of that is I'm limited. The upside is I think my experience has been good because the pastor that was there before me was a he was a really honorable good man you know he was, he was a good guy uh, but I I will say that for us it's it's been a, a very fierce desire to do things right you know so I, I have personally been nauseated by the way I've watched institutional religion steward money spend money waste money squander money squander opportunities so like at our church for example just about half of everything we spend goes to missions in the poor and justice and things like that so I, we're asking people to go make don't like it, it's a very sobering thought to me that there are widows that are living on retirement or social security and they give money to a church like ours single mothers that are so for me i i feel very serious about if if someone has invested their money in what we're doing don't get me wrong i know someone would say in a religious sense hey i'm giving it to god i wasn't giving it to an organization anyway and i agree with that but we take it really seriously if someone's putting their money there. Like if someone, like when people come on our board, for example, one of my dreams is when I get to hear them two years later say, I have, I'm more sold on what we do, seeing what goes on underneath the rock, behind the scenes than I am when I saw what was going on just from the pulpit, you know, something like that. So, so it's a really, it's a really, really big deal to me how we spend money, which means when we're hiring people, you know, so for example, we've got like 40, 50 employees at our church. Uh, with that being the case, man, th there's got to be a real justification for being able to pay people a salary or money to do things that other people are making sacrifices to pay their set. That's not the only thing we're paying, obviously, but but their salaries in some way are coming. From, so, so that's a very serious. So to me, I've kind of got a moral mandate on that, which is we got to do this right, you know, so. But then that said, I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to be, you said be forgiving, you know, like we can be forgiving, but we, I mean, I, I'll, I'll probably read 60 books this year, 70. I mean, so I'm, you know, we re, we're going to read radical candor. We're, we're going to go talk about, you're going to be radically candid. We're going to read good to great. We're going to read books that are in, you know, talk about how do you, like, I wouldn't just go fire someone. We'd have them come up with a plan. We'd have them come up with very clear expectations that are super candid about what is or isn't working. And sometimes things just don't have, I mean, culture is my biggest thing. If someone doesn't, Joel and I just had a conversation about this this afternoon. What do you do if someone does or doesn't fit into the culture? You know, like, yeah. New Scooters yeah. for Less has a culture, right. you know? Some people would be awesome somewhere else and they're not gonna fit here. Like, this isn't gonna be their gig, you know? So so you, to me, one of the biggest things a leader does is they, 
they identify the culture and they guard the culture. They reinforce the culture. They fight for the culture. And not everyone's going to be fine with that. And every culture is going to be different. And so I think being honest and being clear about what that is. Uh, but if, if I had to fire someone, I wouldn't just be firing them. You know, we'd obviously be, I think, trying to tie it back to culture, um, going with that with the moral mandate, but also being very clear with them what is or isn't working, whether it's chemistry or competency or character. He's good at this. Yeah. Like, yes, that's a good answer. Yes. <laughs> I was expecting, like, oh, yeah, it's like three strikes and they're out or something. <laughs> no, but. some people are, I think we've had people on, like, 15 strikes, you know? Yeah, Cause no, some, no, no. yeah sometimes I think you got a diamond in the rough. You're like, this this guy's going to, it's going to be a minute for this guy to become or this lady to become what she, what they're going to become. You've, and that's a, I think leadership is, like, 80% intuition. I think it's, I, I don't, I don't. You, it's not a science. I think it's an art as much as it is science. And, and, and you feel that and you see that. You know, so, so forgiveness, we could be forgiving. Those are on character issues. Some people are just incompetent. If they, if they just can't fit, they just don't fit. We've let people go that went and did amazing somewhere else right. because, and, and that could even just be us. Like you got to know what you are. Like even yeah. me as a leader manager, whatever, everyone's not going to thrive under me. Yeah. And I would add to that. I think, you know, Mike, what he's getting at, I think everything rises and falls on leadership. And so it takes a, a time where you have to reflect and say, is this me or do I need to allow someone else to cultivate and try to develop? Because we at the church, we're in the business of developing people, mm-hmm. both our parishioners and people that work with us. And so if we can't develop and mine out what are they called to, what's their purpose, then we try to come alongside them. So it wouldn't just, you know, just knowing Mike's heart be firing them. It's like, hey, what are your what's your passion? Mm-hmm. What do you feel called to? And I'm going to help you find that. And so I think that's where you balance the truth and the grace with, hey, yeah, there's forgiveness. I want you to be all that God has made you to be. And so it looks different than an actual business in that regard. And maybe it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think that's what's I think that's what's so fascinating about this podcast, or at least for me, I'll let Mike speak for himself, but you know, we we get to talk to a, a wide variety of individuals, right? I mean, like even when you were talking about like your first episode being with Ahmad Black, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I mean, that was about sports, yeah, right? And you talk about culture, you talk about leadership lessons, and like, I mean, it had nothing to do with business, yet it had everything to do with business, right? Mm. Like, we could pull lessons from all yes. that, and it's the same thing. It's Absolutely. like sports teams, they all have they all have a culture about yep. them, right? And like, I mean, it's it's really the same thing. Yep. So it's fascinating to kind of dive into those aspects and, and see how they relate, um, even though it is completely different. Absolutely. I will tell you one thing, though. Firing somebody to church is a little harder because if you fire Mike, does Mike work here? Yeah. Okay, if you fire Mike, he can peace out. I'm leaving town. But you probably don't see him other than at work. Imagine if you're firing someone that also goes to your church. Like if someone, yes. so this is where there's, a, there's a, there is. are some dynamics that are a little more challenging, but there's, you know, one of the books, one of my favorite books I've read in the last maybe two years was Super Bosses. And it just talks about the, like in the NFL, for example, when they were looking at all the Super Bowl winning coaches in the last like 20, 30 years, there's really a trail of just two or three coaches where all of them came from. So there is this, there are these trees that kind of like Urban Meyer has developed a tree. There's people that have come from Urban Meyer, you know? Right. Uh, but there was just like Bill Belichick. There's certain people that the super bosses, they find a way of producing people. And even when they leave years later, they end up being the advocates for those bosses. That they, And that's one of the goals that I think any great leader would have is, you know, what, even if this didn't work out, my dream would be if Joel left our staff five years from now, I'd still want 
him to be an advocate of, you know what, I'm not there, but I'll tell you what, man, I believe in what they do and I've taken a lot of good things. That is the dream. So yeah. in my mind at all times, I'm thinking into, I'm thinking of down the road, I want an advocate even when they leave this place. No, of course. Yeah. It's huge. So my, my lesson in, in being a business leader is the, pro- the problem I have or that I've dealt with is, is I always want to see the good. I always want to see the person's going to come back. I want to keep forgiving them. I want to, you know, be there to guide them through to, to fulfill the potential that I see, right? But, but sometimes you just got to know when to move on. And, and that's hard for me. And we're not running a church. So, yeah. so my question there is, is do you, do you ever, you know, reach a line where it's like, I just don't have enough time to, to let this person fulfill their potential before we have to make a change. My bias with every single person I'm with is every single person that's on our staff, everyone that I come into contact, my assumption is that they have native genius inside of them that could change the world if they're in the right spot. I believe that with all my heart. Every single human being I talk to, I think they have something inside of them that given the right conditions, given the right position, the tragedy is you've got a lot of people that would be amazing running backs and the coach is trying to get them to throw balls and they're supposed to run the ball. You know, the tragedy is you've got someone that would be amazing if you would just put them on defense. You make, let them be a safety, they're going to kill it. And the problem is the, the coach has them as a wide receiver and it's just not flowing. So for me, that, that's, that's the deal is that I have to convince myself, and this is where some people do need to off-ramp, which is this circumstance, this place right here where they are, this is not the best thing for them. They'll go turn the world upside down if they just have the right environment. If we could just get them in the right spot. That's my dream. And with Joe, the, the guy I'm sitting next to right now, Joel, he is going to turn the world upside down. This man is going to be used by God for the grace of God to turn the world upside down in all sorts of ways. He's on the front end of figuring that out. I feel like my assignment with him is I want to be a brother to him, a helper to him, a, a, a true mentor to him in a way. It's like, what can I do to get out of the way to help him see it, to to help him be everything that God wants him to be, which which might include things here, might not include things here. I, I'm All of us are trying to get to that place. But if you assume everyone's a genius, people don't just suck. Sometimes the situation they're in sucks, you know, and you've got to, you got to find a way to change that. That's what I long to do. That's what I love doing with people. I don't always do it well, but that's what I'd like to do. I love that. Like, are you, do you, is he good at motivating the team? Like he, oh, just, yeah. he seems like he's got this like natural, oh, like yeah. energy that just pumps everybody up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah? Yeah, Mike is one of the greatest visionaries I've had a chance to be around, a greatest leader. And I think people are motivated by vision. So you show me a picture of the future that energizes me in the present and I'll, I'll go run through a brick wall for you. And Mike is just great in his preaching, with our staff of showing us that picture, reminding us this is where we're going. And people rise to the occasion. They just need the vision. You give them the vision, they'll rise up. And Mike is just phenomenal at doing that. And do you as a leader, like, do you feel that you have uh, easier time motivating others than you do your team? And the reason I'm asking this is because this is something that's come up several times. Mike's heard me say it. I'm like, I'm like, dude, like I go around, I'm like, I feel like I struggle to motivate my own team, but I can get on a stage in front of (laughs) hundreds of people and I can deliver a speech Mm. on a specific subject and have people coming to me at the end of the speech being like, oh my gosh, man, that was the the greatest. Thank you so much. I absolutely loved that. I got so much from it. Like they, I get messages in my LinkedIn box. Oh my God, you you absolutely changed my life, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I feel like I motivate everybody 
accept my own team sometimes. <laughs> and, and so we've, we've kind of like related it to like, maybe it's like a brotherly familiar, you know, you're, familiar, you're so familiar with it. So with families, kinda, you know, like if yeah. your family's like, man, I wish you'd come motivate the kids, honey, you know, that kind yep. of thing. So yeah, that, yeah. There, I mean, there could be those dangers. Okay. You know, I'll tell you this, man. One of the, I mean, obviously this is, the, this is a lot of business leaders. So this is, I think this is hardwired into humanity, but there's five spots, five words that you use in the Bible, which is an apostle and a, pro- a prophet, evangelist, a shepherd and a teacher, these five. So we always, we'll talk to APEST, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. The reality is every organization would massively benefit from this paradigm because apostles, they tend to be the entrepreneurs. They start things. Prophets, they tend to, they, they kind of see things. They can correct things. They can point things out. Uh, I almost keep thinking of it like, a, you know, the apostles are like a thumb. You can kind of, you know, base things on them. Prophets are like fingers. They can point things out. Evangelists are like a middle finger, you know, so they, <laughs> they, they, they draw attention to things. They're like, hey, you know, they, they recruit to the cause, you know, and there's a lot, you've got a lot of recruiter in you as well. So I think with you, there's a lot of apostolic and there's a lot of, you know, you can, you can get that attention there too. Shepherds are like the ring finger, you know, shepherds are like, the, it's the humanizing element. It's when, when you're working for a shepherd, you feel cared for, you feel, you, you know, they've got buy-in with you. And then teachers, they're, they're like almost like a little finger, you know, it's like the little finger. They say things in a way it's small enough to get in your ear where you understand it. You know, they can systematize things. They get, well, think about, I mean, this is a Bible concept, but this is a concept that I think works in business, which is you need every, if a business has an entrepreneurial side, if it's got that prophetic side that can point things out. It recognizes timing and, and when when do you strike while it's hot? How do you hit it here? When you've got enough of a drawing attention, you get stuff. When people know you care and when you can actually systematize things to So what I would what I would probably say is what you're probably doing is banking a lot on your apostolic and evangelistic. But for the rest, for a team to work, the team's going to have to have prophets, shepherds, teachers to bring the. When you've got all five, man, that's when it gets killer. Hmm. That's good. So do, like you, that. do you aim to embody all of those as a leader or do you try to surround yourself with people that make up the whole? Uh, no, 100% surround, surround yourself. yourself. Yeah, 100%. Yep. But but the job of a lead, like my job, I mean, like the, even the way I staff, like on a, at a regular, on a regular basis, I'll ask the question, have we heard from all five positions? If you, I, I think like a basketball team, there's five positions on a basketball team. You know, if you, if you only have three, you're going to be deficient in something. No matter how great the entrepreneur is, no matter how great the evangelist is, if you don't have all five, you are going to, even if you're going to have a hard time keeping people without shepherds, you're going to have a hard time keeping things efficient without teaching. You know, you're going to have a hard, anyway. So what I would say is, yeah, for me, my job is not to have to be all five at all. My job is to make sure, Joel, for example, he's, Profit teacher mostly. I think that's that's where he brings a lot to our team. But that's my your job, my job. If you are a leader listening to this, I think your job is. Well, I'm just telling you. You want some wisdom from the Bible? This is it. You get these five, and you're gonna you're gonna kill it. I mean, do you agree? Like, is, oh, yeah. is, is there is there a test? Like, is there a test for this thing? Like that, you know, like you were asking me before. Like, <laughs> when your enneagram. Like, is there like a, yeah. a test that like kind of labels like what? Like what am I? Yeah, it's you see, I like, mean, you you seem to like just know. You're like kind of pinpointing, like calling your your this and this, like. Yeah, it's kind of like the enneagram. You kind of you'll go through a test of questions, and then they'll kind of say, "Hey, you're an apostle, you're a prophet, you're an evangelist, you're a shepherd, you're a teacher." And I think it's important in any endeavor when you're trying to figure out like who am I. The community affirms the giftings that yeah. you have. Okay. So some people are like, it's like I have an affinity to sing, but if none of your friends think you can sing, <laughs> you shouldn't go out and quit your day job, right? D- don't do that. You know, the community's gonna affirm, hey man, I see this in you. And, I, and that's what's really cool. It's like, hey man, I really am thinking about launching a business. Well, do your friends think that you have 
the, the capacity, the competency, like can you actually do it? And so that's where the community confirms, like man, Joel, every time I get around you, I feel cared for, I feel loved. Man, you might, you might be leaning more towards a shepherd. So you do the test, mm-hmm. and the test is one thing, but then the community affirms those giftings in you. And that helps give you clarity of like, hey, I'm gonna focus on these two things, and then other people around me are gonna come and meet where I'm deficient in. So Mike being an apostle, uh, Mike is an apostle, what, prophet, you would say? Apostle? I think evangelist. Evangelist? Well, I don't know who does. <laughs> uh, It's all rigged. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a super interesting topic of discussion. Uh, well, and like I could honestly stay focused on on that kind of stuff all day long, but you know, there's, there, there's so much happening in our world right now. Like, I'll, I'll take this as an opportunity to transition a little bit because, man, like, I would say that for most people, 2020 hasn't gone oh, as yeah. expected. <laughs> yep. It's been super challenging. It all started uh, with the chicken sandwich. <laughs> Popeye's chicken sandwich? This whole world, the whole like chaos started with a chicken sandwich, and we haven't known normal life uh, since the then. The memes, I saw the memes, like, everything was fine until Tony's. Tony Stark died. Right. I saw that oh, meme too. I, spoiler. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, anyway. We'll get there. It hasn't gone quite as we thought it would. I mean, I, w- I would love to dive into some of these topics with you guys. Um, I mean, we could start with topic one, which is like this coronavirus. I mean, this this thing. I mean, we, we had to make a pivot because we weren't really able to get in studio with people. Mm. We started doing our little coronavirus sessions, which is great. Um, you know, but obviously, mass gatherings, people couldn't get like the the thought of not going to church was super, you know, strange to a lot of us, right? And when that call was made, it was like it was like it was like what? And then I even saw like churches kind of pushing back and saying like, no, 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 we're still getting together, you know. So I'm super interested to kind of hear some of the discussions that took place when a lot of this started going going down. What? What was the behind the scenes like? What were those discussions like? And and I don't know, maybe walk us through it a little bit. Yeah, man, this has been rough. You know, this, this has been a hard situation. The bottom line for churches would be, we're gonna prioritize the vulnerable, you know, at least the churches should, you know. So if someone's in a position, if someone's vulnerable, the way we have made the decision is, that you've got to give preference to those who who would be the most vulnerable. There's a biblical mandate to remember the poor, to remember the vulnerable, to remember the afflicted, to to remember those that would be could be oppressed and would be more likely to be hit the hardest by COVID. So, so the, the way we've had to make decisions has been that I, I would say the lens has been what do we do that's going to be the the most loving and protective and shepherding and responsive toward those that that would be oppressed and. And, and, you know, again, we're shooting blind because everyone's making their best guesses, you know, coming from, you know, CDC and everything else. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we pretty immediately made a decision to, that, that we couldn't meet and, you know, you had to kind of let the chips fly where they, where they would. You'd, what was hard, what was hardest about this was on a week to week basis. I mean, for someone like us, we've got a lot of employees and a lot of the employees, what they do, their actual job has, I'm, I'm guessing it's the same thing here, which is right. what do you, do you keep paying people that are 
that they, they can't come. I mean, I don't know. Were you selling less scooters? I'm assuming. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, like we we immediately like. I mean, we closed our showroom. I mean, we still we were still an essential business. Yeah. Um, and we kept our service department going, and we had plenty of square footage, so it was great to be like, okay, service team, like stay spread out. Yeah. But the rest of us, we went and we worked remotely from home. Right. But I mean, the amount. I mean, scooter sales obviously dropped off the face of the planet. Yeah, right. Especially with 95% of our customers being students, they all left. Exactly. Right. So yeah, it had big impact on us. So I, so I don't know that it's that different from what from what businesses had to do, you know, which was to to look at the scenario and and the hardest part was it almost became like a week to week. At some point you've got to say this is going to be this is somewhat of the new normal. And that's where we finally ended up landing, which was this is less like a little blip on the screen and this might be more like a an ice age. You know, like this might be a little bit more like a one to two year ice age, like if we're just being smart about this, that where there's going to be blizzards and then it gets a little better and then it might get way better and then it might get bad again. And and the only prudent thing to do was to say, okay, assuming that is the case, how would we navigate that? And so, so I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I think we handled it incredibly well because I, I think it was so hard on a week to week basis to try to scramble around to do what you can do. But, but the way we've made the decisions is what's going to be in the best interest of the most vulnerable. And I mean, a few weeks ago, things shifted because we, we've had a pretty conservative approach to meeting again. And I, to be honest with you, because I, I would listen to the voices of people that would say, listen, if people that are getting together and meeting, you're doing this because you've got the privilege of doing so because you're maybe you're white and white people are less likely to get hit by the coronavirus or you're young and young people are less likely. So I, I take that pretty seriously when people say things like, you know, hey, you're making your decisions out of your privilege. I, I'll try to run that through that. So, so we took that a lot into consideration. A few week, couple weeks ago, a bunch of us were marching downtown, and so at that point, I heard from a lot of people like, "Hey, I saw you marching with three thousand people downtown at, you know, uh, Black Lives Matters kind of rally." So, uh, or does we're that mean back are we okay? Now? <laughs> right. Can we have two hundred people at church? You're, you're you know? getting those questions? Yeah. Like oh heck asking, yeah! Oh, oh, oh no no big! I mean, the minute I got home, I, I was my phone was blowing up like, "Hey, I saw." People put you on Instagram. You were there, so I'm assuming if you could have three thousand people there that are like six inches from you, you can have six feet away at church or something. So anyway, yeah. So it's super interesting that you said that because I've 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 seen a lot of that discussion. A lot of people getting super upset that there's been these massive collections of people. They're like, oh, but can't go to church. Yeah, like you see that all over the internet. So it's yeah. And the reality is, you the church is not the building. You right, know, so right. we are the church and the scripture says where two or three gather in his name, there he is in the midst. And so we've well, he's about to preach, get ready. I'm, I am about to preach. <laughs> Here it comes. I am about to preach. <laughs> but you know, the reality is, you know, encouraging people to continue to maintain their relationship with God, continue to reach out to their neighbors, continue to be a witness, because though we can't meet physically, we can still live out that reality of our relationship with God and loving him and loving others. And so um, that has been, despite all of the difficulty with COVID-19, continue to press on. For every challenge, there's an opportunity. And so finding the opportunity amidst the challenge and encouraging people, hey, maximize this time. Um, you know, Do things with your family. Pray, have Bible studies. Like for me and my wife, man, we've grown so much closer and deeper through this time. Um, and I felt like it was a challenge from the Lord of like, you've just been in a hurry. Like you, you go rip and you're running and you're doing all of these things and love and hurry don't go together. Um, if you ever find yourself hurried, most likely you're not attentive, you're not as kind, you're not as gentle. And so it's, it's honestly, it's been challenging on that front, 
of trying to figure out all of these challenges from a leadership standpoint. But on the other end, relationally, um, I think people have had opportunities to go deeper in their relationships with their family and doing things along those those lines. So uh, opportunity present there as well. That's great. So I want to go a little bit deeper on some of that because uh, we, we had Sherman Merricks on the podcast last week and I asked him about, I say he's done a lot of stuff on Facebook Live, um, engaging about race matters, all this kind of stuff. And I asked him about, you know, does he ever have to feel like he toes a line between, um, you know, putting himself out there and how it might affect his brand and his business. Um, and then, you know, you just mentioned that you participated in the Black Lives Matter uh, march. And so my, my question- it, it was, it, I don't know there was a Black Lives Matters march. So okay, I mean, right, the, fair, the, That, that fair. was the most common sign. Yeah, right, I did. yeah, fair. So, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, although, I'm I have you, no pr- although I have no problem saying Black Lives Matter. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad you, you clarify that because I definitely don't want to, you know, put words in anybody's mouth or anything. But so my question though is like, you, do you ever feel like there's going to be pushback from the congregation or do you feel like 100% they're on the same page when it comes to getting activism into the church like that? Or like be, being, you know, no, they're absolutely not on the same page. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, there, there's a whole wide variety of people coming from a lot of different, a lot of different backgrounds. And, uh, I, here, I mean, here's the catch. Like, I, let, let me preach. I'll, I'm going to preach for a second. Racism and white supremacy is just wickedness. You know, it's evil and it's, Biblically, I would call it a sin. You know, it's a, uh, as a preacher, I would say it's an it's idolatry of someone's race, and what makes it so dangerous is that people are unaware of it. Oftentimes, you know, so so white supremacy and racism is an evil that's got to get that must be dismantled. It's I was on a I was on a call with a, so a call with Brian Stevenson recently. He's the guy that did the movie Just Mercy, wrote the book Just Mercy. He describes it like a fog. He said there's just like smog. There's just like a smog of racism uh, in America, and, that, and that's just true. And it's just got to get—it's—it's got to be dismantled. Um, it's a sin, you know. It's just flat out sin. The—the the challenge is, like, as a as a preacher, what I am is I—I I I want people to have hope, man. Hey, do you whatever area in life you struggle with, whatever area you sit, because all of us blow it and all of us are are fallen. How, I believe with all my heart, God helps people out of that. The challenging moment I see culturally right, that we're in right now is that racism is an absolute sin. It's oftentimes absolutely undetected, but it's also gotten to a dangerous point with like a powder keg where someone feels as if if they were to say I'm a racist, they feel like that's the unpardonable sin. That the like I, For the life of me, I cannot figure out why when people get interviewed, they're like, listen, I'm not a racist. If you were born in the United States of America, I assume that you struggle with racism. To it. I assume yep. that you are prejudiced. I assume that there is implicit bias in you. How would there not be? I mean, every every study I've ever read says that every single race it's it's same it's the same race bias. It's like you are going to be biased in favor of your race. You know, so whoever the majority culture is, they're going to have advantages and privileges that others don't. Which again, I don't know. I don't cannot figure out why this is so hard to swallow that or accept that. But the challenging moment that I think we're in right now is I wish everyone would just go ahead and say, you know what? Like, like I'm married. Like, I'm, I'm married. I got a precious wife, beautiful wife. I also get tempted by other beautiful women. So I'm trying to be faithful to my wife, but I have to, like, I can raise my hand and say, you know what? I struggle with lusting after other women. Like, that could be a struggle. I cannot figure out why it is so hard for the United States of America to raise our hand and just say, I struggle with racism. Because the minute we do that, I think there would be hope for people to say, oh, you admit you struggle. 
well, now we can deal with it. You know, so this is a long answer to your question, which mm-hmm. is, I, so is everyone is everyone that's on board? No, my dream is that everyone would at least be humble though, because when you're humble, you can say, you know what? I struggle with this sin, just like someone else struggles with porn, just like someone else struggles with lies or greed or whatever. But as a, as a community and as a, hopefully as a culture, as a church specifically, as, a, as families, as, as a cities, hopefully we could say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this a place where we're going to walk a journey together. We're going to get out of this darkness. You got to call it what it is. You cannot correct oppression or sins that you do not acknowledge, but you also cannot get out of them when people are so ashamed because they feel like it's a it's an untouchable sin. So if you're even listening to this now, my encouragement to you would just be to say, you know what, like like on our staff, man, I got to tell you, I mu- I absolutely would have to struggle with racism. I think every human I know struggles with racism. So let's help each other with it, just like we would anything else. Drop the mic. Right. Drop the mic. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't even want to follow Mike up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's helpful. I mean, like Joel. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm speaking, for, you know, from, uh, you know, from one vantage point. I mean, Joel's jo- Joel's vantage point is much more personal. I mean, Joel. I mean, I would. I mean, let me just throw the ball at you, yeah. Because I mean, part of the reason I've landed where I land now is because I actually have friends in my life that are. You know, I've got, you know, friends that are doctors who are black that tell me when they've been pulled over by cops for, you know, for a, a taillight out a cop comes up with a gun in his face like that's that is not my that has not been my experience first time i hear that joel though like when i'm talking to joel when i'm talking to my friends when i'm talking to i've heard it enough times now to where i'm like okay we got to move on this so, i mean so, i mean so joel i would just love the thing to you right now just to, i mean because I, I think you talking firsthand helps a lot absolutely yeah, yeah so kind of like i shared early on with my story you know i grew up kind of in the inner city on the outskirts between the railroad tracks where you had the good neighbors neighborhoods here and you had kind of the poorer neighborhoods here. And so I went to an inner city school and I shared that, you know, I believe every single person that's a minority or who's African-American, I'm Afro-Caribbean, um, they have two experiences in their life. The day that they find out they're black and the day where they find out it's a problem. And for me, that happened early on when I was 12 years old playing basketball in inner city and I would walk home to practice. My school was right there. I went to a school called Horseman Middle School, one of the baddest schools in Dade County at the time. And I would walk home and I remember my friends and I walking home, 12, 13 years old, and hearing racial slurs called out to us because we were walking home from kind of the poorer neighborhood into the outskirts of the rich neighborhood. And I, I have memories of the you know cops coming by and harassing us. So my, my friend, as we're walking home, getting tased uh, by the police officer for for nothing but just just walking home. Hey, we're we're just trying to get home. Like we we do live in this neighborhood. We do live here, and I can share a story from story from my brother and and many other people. And police brutality. I think that's one area of systemic racism, but I think it's many others, and all of them contribute to. Um, the, a lot of the things we see in our society. And so one of the things that really dawned on me when I realized I was going to this inner city school, as I got older, I came to, to find out that schools are funded by property taxes. And so coming to realize like you have poorer schools in these areas that are funded by property taxes. So the, the, the properties in this area doesn't have great value. So this school doesn't get the resources, the extracurricular activities, the tutors, the things that you need in order to thrive. Well, on this side, the schools that are 
have higher property values around them, they're getting all of these different resources. And so when I think about them, like, man, who made that system? Like, why is it that on this side of town, I went to a school where many of my friends are in jail, many of my friends are in prison, many of my friends, I struggled, you know, in terms of not having what I needed. And I think it was the grace of God sending me mentors and people in my life to help steer me and guide me. But when I, when I look back as a young man, I'm like, oh, okay, so the anger that I had, all of these different things, to me, it was a system set up for me to fail. And so part of my heart, even now, in terms of mentoring at-risk youth and mentoring athletes is to figure out how do we dismantle a system that was created? To me, it just, it, it baffles my mind to think we have resources that is unequally distributed to this very day. And so when you talk about, you look and you do a cursory view through history, Every civilization that's educated, crime goes down. But when you give a specific group of people, a community, poorer resources, you don't give them access to extracurriculum activities, you don't give them the things that you need to thrive, and then you blame them and say, oh no, there's, there's crime happening, there's black on black crime, where I'm like, well, can we give resources? Can we distribute that in a fair way so that they have a fair shot and opportunity to thrive and succeed? And so those are systemic issues that needs to be dismantled. And part of my heart in light of George Floyd, in light of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and the many other unarmed black men, seeing that I came from that, I feel a call to give myself to that fully. And I'm doing that in part with mentoring some of these athletes who majority are African-American men who have same stories as me. You know, I've heard it over and over, Joel, like I was just trying to drive home. Officer came and pulled the gun out me. I was just trying to drive home and he had me come out and, and harassed me. And again, not all police officers are, are bad. I mean, I have great friends that are police officers, which we love and respect. But yet again, there's a system that needs to be addressed. And I think you're remiss to ignore that especially looking at the 400 years of our nation's history up to this point. So part of my heart and passion is to give myself in helping bring that change. How much of it has to do with the home life? You know, because one of the things that seems to be coming up pretty consistently is like the absence of a father. Yep. Right and the impact that that has, yep. because I can I totally agree with you on like the, on like the schooling and, yep. and that kind of stuff, uh, but I mean even you know that's part of the foundation, but I mean a bigger part of the foundation Absolutely. is is the family life, right? Absolutely. I mean, so like ultimately, like what can be done about that? Absolutely, and I think part of it, at least for the gospel and our approach as the church, and even my heart, I'm figuring out my passions just as Mike mentioned through this season, like. I've been deeply grieved and pained. And I, I've, I've cried almost every day from the time Ahmaud Arbery happened all the way up to this point. I'm asking God, like, Lord, why am I so deeply grieved? And I think one of my heart passions is manhood. It's, it's really to help develop men and help them understand your responsibility, your authority as a man, and what does that look like? And so to answer your question, I think it has everything to do with what's going on and what's happening, particularly in the black community. However, I think it's important to address the systemic issues. So on one hand, I think my approach would be to help empower black men, to help pour into them or men in general and show them, listen, you have a responsibility to develop your family, to cultivate them for greatness. That is your responsibility. They're going to rise and fall on what you do. And so helping give them, the, give them resources and modeling for them what that looks like. I think the onus is on the church and I feel a call for that. But on the other end, if you understand, hey, you have young kids 
who haven't had resources, mentorship, education from the very beginning, we know you're molding a child. And so it started those habits, those, hey, I didn't have extracurricular activities. I learned discipline through my coach. My dad, you know, my dad left when I was 12, but discipline and hard work, I learned it through my basketball coach. He taught me that because we we were able to push for funding and to be able to have a program, a basketball program. But I learned that through him. So imagine all of these schools that don't have that. So you're almost behind the eight ball when you're trying to develop men when they've experienced these realities in their community. They've experienced not having these resources or their experience like, man, I'm going to put you in jail for a crime like marijuana. And I mean, marijuana has its things, but. Do I, do I care if my, my, my neighbor is smoking marijuana? Do they need to be locked up or in jail for that? I'm like, you know, all of these fathers that could have been there are not there. And I think in part it's due to some of the, the systemic issues that we have going on in our society. And so on one end, we need to emphasize family and manhood. But on the other end, we have to address these systems early on as they're developing. What's your opinion on the role of technology in all this? Because you think about even when we were kids, you know, the level of technology has has just, you know, I mean, it's grown exponentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I look at my I look at my kids. I mean, you got a lot of kids. (laughs) How many kids you got? Eight. We got eight. Eight. We got a whole team and three reserves. You have kids? No, not kids. No kids yet. so, Children. you know, like so we uh, have an average of four kids, <laughs> <laughs> we average four kids between the two of us. Right. That's right. You know, I'm like, you know, obviously as a parent, I'm trying to monitor my kids on technology. Like, what are they, what are they seeing? What, are, you know, but man, they're so, they're so, you know, in tune with this stuff, right? They're like, they're grabbing it. They're getting on, they're getting on YouTube and they're watching people play video games and all sorts of stuff. And like, uh, I, I mean, Heck, the other day I saw my, my kid was FaceTiming somebody through a device and playing a game with that same person Wow! on the device. And I, I didn't even, I, to be honest, I wasn't even sure you could, like I know that you can do that with gaming systems, but I didn't even know they could, they could face somebody on a phone and then be playing the same game as them. I don't know. Anyway, that's that's way beside the point. My my thing is like the influence that this causes, right? The access to social media and that like, they're not, they're not getting their, coaching, yep. if you will, from, you know, from a mentor, from a church, right? It's, it's, it's coming, it's coming like through these devices a lot of the time yep. and a lot, and it's, and it's super negative. It's like super bad. Uh, I mean, uh, and this is going, we can go down this route in a second, but like, you know, I, I'm, I'm confused me personally as, as a 38 year old male, like I'm confused are, are, is there unity right now or is there division right now? Yeah. <laughs> like. You know, so I mean, what impact do you think that technology is playing in, you know, the development of our children, um, and and maybe just like I mean, just maybe just your thoughts on that, like, and Absolutely. what and what can be done on it? Absolutely, yeah. I think you know, mentorship is huge, and personal contact is huge. So whenever you have a society that's leaning more towards items and things instead of people. There's a, there's a dilemma there, there's a problem and an issue that's gonna come out of that. And so I think with a lot of young people with the PlayStations and then you have social media and interacting and um, I think you can't replace that from, replace that with personal contact and interaction with people. And so I think what we're gonna see eventually is people are gonna go to 
social media platforms and things like that to fill a void that only we can have through personal mm-hmm. touch and through contact contact with one another. And so mm-hmm. I, I think my biggest, my heart cry, because I experienced it as an adolescent, that mentorship, that, hey, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to share my heart. You're going to feel my emotions and we're going to disagree. We may not see eye to eye, but I want to mold you and form you for the real world. Um, I don't know if you can get that just through social media. I mean, those are my thoughts on that. I don't know. Yeah, the the danger I'm that I'm seeing with social media or with when you're talking about the online platforms is, and right now I'm just you just said something. I'm like I just want to pen it right down. I'm like I'm going to use this on Sunday in my sermon. It's something you just said. So I'm going to write it down here in a second. But uh, what's what's bothering me the most about the moment we're in is that. I think things are always more complex than than people want to make it. You know, so I, I think we we long for simplicity because when you can make something simple, you can justify a lot of things in your mind. You know, so when we're looking at our, our moment right now, for the most part, what I hear people doing is I I hear people trying to get it down to the irreducible minimum. But they're but they're not realizing not every number gets brought down to two, you know, or one, you know, like some things you can like, hey, you know, one times two is, you know, you can get it down to two or one or something like some numbers, you know, like there's some of these numbers that I, I forget what they are, but like prime 60. Numbers. What is it? It's a prime number. A prime number. You there got like, you go. there's some big prime numbers where it's like, you know what, there, there's actually a lot going on here. You know, so when you talk about like the moment we're in right now, I don't hear people throwing out nuanced understanding of complex issues. What I hear people doing is throwing people out altogether. So I'm not even going to mention their names, but someone will share uh, a video on Facebook. Someone shares a video on social media. And a lot of times what you'll have is a person and they're actually making two good points. They, they say 10 things and they make two really, really good points. The problem is eight of their points are just nuts or eight of them are racist or eight of them are kind of ridiculous or eight of them are whatever. And now what we do is we're actually going to throw out the whole video because, oh, you can't listen to that person. That person's that, that person's a Marxist. You can't do that. Oh, that person's a socialist. Oh, this person's a racist. And let's face it, for some people, the moment you say that's a socialist, they're done. Mm-hmm. For some people, the moment you say, oh, oh, that, that woman on Facebook, oh, she's a racist. You know, even if she's black, she's a racist. As soon as you say racist, now they're done. Like you don't even hear any anything that they're saying because they're socialist, because they're racist, because they're Marxist, because they're feminist, because they're, you know, whatever. And the reality is almost every problem, like when I'm as a pastor, when I'm dealing with people, usually their problems are the it's the it's a complex issue. It's multifaceted, you know. So when you're talking about okay, what's going on in the inner cities? I'll tell you. I mean, part of you, you got to take this back. I mean, you'd be on slave plantations, and when I hear people saying like, you know, when you because people brought that up before. Well, when are we going to address like the? I don't hear anyone talking about the the family problem in the you know in the African American community. Well, it, it's pretty rough. I mean, one of the reasons why, if you ever heard of like jumping the broom, like when people would get married, they would jump the broom because a man would not be able to marry his yeah. his wife, and so so you'd have you know so called Christian plantation owners in the South that would forbid a man to marry his his wife. So they would find another way. To, even people that got the Bible sometimes would say, you know what? We're not even having sex till we get married. My master won't let me get married, but he wants me to have kids. So we're going to make up. They'd go jump the broom, you know, and they would be, which was an honorable thing. But then if a husband was getting too close or there's too much of a family unit, often regularly, a man would get taken. A, a father would get taken from his wife, from his kids, screaming put on some other plantation, forced to be in some other place, hundreds of years this goes on, you know? So this goes on for hundreds of years. And then, so so right now, for example, when people say, well, well, where are the, because I, I hear this, you know, where are the black men? Well, 
that this goes on for hundreds of years. And then when you do, and Joel mentioned, you have if you have a system with the you know the so-called war on drugs, for example, where uh, you're going to go and you're going to have. And listen, I'm not. Uh, please don't hear. Do not hear me saying I want you to go smoke weed. Okay, this is not Pastor Mike. If anyone that knows me, I'm not saying go smoke weed. So I saw you guys, you know, lighten some up before we started, but uh, I'm not. <laughs> not true. <laughs> no, no, that is not that's, true. No, so I'm not. I'm not. That's advo- how it starts. I'm like not that. advocating for that. But I'll tell you what's ridiculous is that there's a bunch of fathers that are in jail for petty drug charges when we already know there's just as much weed over in the parking lot of Buholtz High School yep. as there is over in some of these neighborhoods. But those boys in Buholtz High School, they're not getting thrown in jail. They're not getting a third possession charge because that's not where the cops go to round. So what you've got now, again, I'm not, I'm not in favor of weed. I'm just saying that I went to UF. There's plenty of weed at UF. Okay. I was in high school. There's plenty of weed in high school. Okay. How is it that some neighborhoods are clearly targeted? We already know, like these statistics are, we're doing, everyone's doing, the races are all doing the same amount of drugs, but there are, there is one race in particular, well, in, in Hispanics, it'd be the same in impoverished neighborhoods. They are being, that does where it ends up being. So when you're saying, okay, wait, where's the family unit? You've got slavery that happens hundreds of years. You've got system, you've got generations of fathers that were not there. So all I'm getting at it, that doesn't change things. And that's not giving someone a pass. That's what it is saying is if that does not come into the equation, when you're thinking about, when I hear people say, what about black on black crime? You know, when I hear people saying, whatever, uh, what about the family unit? The past has got to be brought into play. Yep. The present has to be brought into play. There's a nation of Israel because reparations were made. There was never any reparations made in the United States of America. It's pretty hard for a race to recover from hundreds of years of slavery without reparations. And when they do try to go make something happen, like a Black Wall Street, when it gets burned to the ground, that's a yep. that, that, at some point, like you just get exasperated. You're like, oh my gosh! Like no matter what I do, it's never you don't get the you don't get a Jim Crow and then a war on drugs and then you. You know, if you go watch 13th, all this kind of stuff, like at some point you got to say, wait, that all is feeding into this. And there is and there is going to be another side to it. So there absolutely is a side of personal responsibility. Uh, but when it when our nation, which it hasn't, in my estimation, for the life of me, if if our nation has ever repented, if you want to use that biblical term of our racism, I don't know when it happened. It would make it a lot. It's hard to. It's hard to move forward into redemption when there hasn't been a moment of repentance. And there's got to be that recognition. That is what I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know how you change all the working dynamics of each individual family, but the culture itself and the system itself could make a start, a stark shift by saying we hereby and you fill in the blank. Absolutely. Agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> So Mike, Mike keeps leaving us uh, speechless. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, mean I, 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 I pay for this. I mean, when you were asking, is everyone on board? I mean, I can't tell you how right. many uh, th- uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars I, we've lost. I don't, you know, like, like, so it's easy for me to say this. I, you know, when I'm done, I'm always like, oh, who's going to listen to this? And what's this going to mean? You know, because I've had plenty of people say like, hey, me and my checkbook are leaving, you know, because I, I don't think racism is real. I think you are. I think you're just acquiescing to the false news of the left-wing media or, you know, whatever. So people so. have said that. Oh, how, how do you, how do you, ha- yeah. how do you handle that? I mean, do you, do you fight to keep them in Congress? Do you open the door for future conversations? Well, it's I the mean, same like- thing. You know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the culture conversation from earlier, which is, I mean, I'll say, I'll say this as a pastor, but I would say it as a CEO, you know, I, I don't want to pastor a church that doesn't need to exist, you know, so I don't want to lead an organization that doesn't need to exist. There's already 10,000 organizations that are that are complicit with racism. For I always said to myself, if I was alive in the 50s, I want to believe I would have marched. If I was alive during, uh, you know, in the, in the 1850s, I want to believe I would have been part of the Underground Railroad. 
And yet when your moment comes, like, what are you going to do? Do you step, do you have the chops to stand, step up and do something or, or not, you know? So it's like, you got, you've got one life to live, like do it right. You know, have, have the right, there's already, there's already 10,000 businesses out there, you know, whatever you've been called to do. And maybe your thing isn't, you know, this cause, but I, but for us, this is one of, this is part of our cause, you know, and, and doing what is right. And, and having a culture that someone, I want, I want to have a culture that I'd be willing to take a bullet for. I don't want to, I don't want to lead an organization I wouldn't take a bullet for. And, and this is one of those things, you know, I'd rather have less people. I'd rather have less money. I'd rather have less whatever and have the favor of God and, and be on the side of right, you know, as opposed to when I look back, I'm embarrassed when I look back at churches in the 1950s or when I look back at white culture, it, it's, it embarrasses me that it took people getting hosed down on, on national television to have the president of the United States look and say, oh, turn it off. You know, it, it, that's what that's what Martin Luther King didn't march just to make a statement. He marched to go get hosed down because he knew the only way to do this was he was going to have to lay his life down. You know, I just read a book on freedom writers and that's what they did. They're like, yeah, we're going to have to get our, we're going to have to get the crap beat out of us to get anyone's attention because that's the only way you're going to get people. And right now, that's what I'm saying. Anyone that's listening now, if you have been on the fence on this on, on the racial stuff, I just, man, I'd beg you to go all the way over to the other side because like this is a moment when we can we can undo some of the sins of our past right now, but people have to have the guts to step up and do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's very difficult because I feel there's so much, there's just so much confusion. And I'll, and I'll just say it's like coming from me, for example, like I, <laughs> You know, I'm like I'm watching some of the things that are happening. Like, let's just let's just take the rioting for example. Like, dude, this like this is this is huge. You know, like I'm like, man, and and I said it in a previous podcast too. I'm like, man, like I don't, I would not be happy <laughs> if my if this business got burned down to the ground right now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I wouldn't. I would be very upset about it. Right, but then it, but then I, I feel like people are like justifying that, right? And I don't, and maybe justify is not the right word. Like I, I can, I can step back and be like, okay, like I understand that silent protests, you know. There's, I, I'm going to counsel you to get insurance. Please get insurance on your, <laughs> on your building here, okay? It's the great advice that I was looking for. <laughs> that, no, that is good advice to everybody. Um, but I mean, do you? I mean, you can kind of see and understand like where it can be, like because you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, man, like I like me, I, I poured my heart and soul into this community. Like I couldn't imagine this place getting burned down. Like it would distri- Like it would really, really hurt me. Yeah. Right. And then, and then like I, and then and I try to put myself in the shoes of somebody who's like, well, like these, this is why it's happening. And so I'm like, I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? How do you guys, you know, look at? A subject matter like the writing because and and then going deeper than that you know we look at races and i'm like dude like why and we talked about it with sherman last week is like like why is this even like why does it become a political issue why is this a left and a right issue like what like isn't this just right and wrong yeah right and and so because i keep telling him and i said this last week i'm like like dude i don't want my i don't want my podcast to become a political podcast because i'm not passionate about politics yeah Right, it's not. That's not why I started this podcast. But then it's like, like it becomes a political issue, right? So I, I know that that's a lot, but maybe you can discuss yeah. or shed some light on yeah, some would, of those things. I would say so. MLK has a quote. He says, "Riots are riots take place because it's it's the voice of the unheard, 
right? And so when you look at what takes place, and Mike did a good job of kind of giving us a cursory view of some of the history of what has taken place in our nation, you have Colin Kaepernick who took a took a knee during the national anthem as a peaceful protest, and many people were just furious that he did that. And it was his way of drawing attention to some of the things that were going on, but people did not respond. They didn't hear, they didn't listen, he was ostracized, he eventually lost his job. You go back to the 1950s and 60s with MLK, you know, nonviolent, birth out of the church, following the way of Jesus, the way of forgiveness, peacefully saying, hey, there's a problem here. There's an issue that's taking place, and that wasn't heard. And then you can go all the way back, and so when you get to, you know, you get Ahmaud Arbery, you get Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and you've the people have reached the point where we've been trying to tell you, hey, there's an issue happening, there's something going on. And I can be honest, man, I've grieved deeply and I know the African-American community has grieved deeply over these losses. And so when you're grieving, sometimes you don't do things as rational. Like I come from a Haitian culture background. When we go to funerals, like there's times where as people are grieving, like you might throw yourself into to a wall, like you're, you're grieving, you're feeling some pain that you're trying to like, man, how do I emote, how do I communicate this? And so when you see the rioting and the looting taking place, it's the voice of people saying, hey, do you see us, do you see us? Like, we've been knocking at this door, there's food that you have on the other side, and we're saying, hey, we're hungry, can we come in and eat? You don't respond. And so we knock a little louder, hey, can we come in? We want to eat. And I don't condone rioting because it's it's counterproductive. However, there's this reality of like you couldn't step out of your world for just a little bit and come and see like this is what we're facing. We need assistance. We need your help. And the result is you get you get the rioting, you get the looting, you get the anger, the frustration when we could have constructively. Hey, let's dialogue. Let's figure out what we can do. Let's put some things in place. But Colin Kaepernick. No one really got it. And you get, you know, in 2016, I think it's Alton Sterling and Philando Castile that was killed, unarmed black men. And you get Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and you just rip a Band-Aid and you see the maggots and all of that coming out because we just kept putting it under the rug. We failed to acknowledge the issue at hand. And so you get the rioting, you get the looting. But does it create more division than unity? Because like one of the things that I keep seeing people saying like, oh man, they're real like this was an opportunity. This was an opportunity to like to to really bring everybody together and to unite under this under this cause. And then and then you hear, and, and then and then you see the rioting and stuff and like that. Like that's not that's not going to create I think, burn, I think, burning somebody's business down isn't going to create the unity. That's just going to further divide. And so like I completely like I, I'm hearing you. Like yeah. I understand why it happened, why it's happening. But I'm like but I don't know, it's not gonna solve anything, right? Or is it? It's calling attention, mm -hmm. it's calling attention to a particular issue that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And so when you have the buildings burning down, you have those things taking place, it's like, hey, there's a human life that died, and I, I, hey, I get businesses and livelihood and things like that are affected, but George Floyd can never come back. Like, you can hopefully rebuild a business, but George Floyd will never be there for his five-year-old no daughter. There's no back. insurance that's bringing him back. So we're calling attention to human lives that are, they're indispensable. 
And so I think what what is important to mention when you speak of unity, you know, I've been married, I've been married for three and a half years, love my wife. When we get into arguments- I saw you get married. Yeah, you this did. This is a happy he actually, man. He actually got married. My, listen, my wife is beautiful. They were waiting till they got married. This man was ready for that honeymoon. I was, I was. COVID-19 has been good on that, for that, for that reason. Oh man. oh, man. Was this pretty recent? Huh? No, we got married uh, three years ago. Okay. Yeah, so, but I was gonna say, when, when my wife and I, we kind of have a falling out or a spat or, you know, a disagreement, and I, I'm wrong, in order for us to move forward, I have to acknowledge what I did was wrong. If I put that under the rug over, hey, hey babe, like, man, I need you when you come home, I need you to, whatever it is, to do this, and it's con- I'm constantly offending her, I'm never addressing that, eventually there's gonna be division, and that needs to be exposed. She has to expose whatever it is that I'm doing that's not pleasing to her, and until I acknowledge that, say, hey, babe, I'm sorry, we can't unite and move forward. There's gonna be division. And I think to Mike's point, we've had a history of like, hey, there's a problem here. There's, we're being oppressed, we're being oppressed. And it's never been fully acknowledged, addressed, and repented of. And so we don't have unity right now. And we're part of the church. Like we're in the business of uniting people and, and, and helping people love each other and love God. But when the issue fails to be addressed, you, t- you have people take matters into their own hands and they go into the streets and riot and loot. And it's not right. I mean, I, I don't condone it in any way, but it's almost like, hey, we've tried. We've tried to tell you. We've tried to kneel and, and nothing is. Well, what should the individual business owners in places like Minneapolis, right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, we have a personal friend. Like, luckily, his business wasn't burnt down to the ground, but Vespa dealer in Minneapolis had the windows broken, had a couple things stolen, you know, like what should they be saying or doing? Like, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of those that are rioting and I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of my friend who owns a scooter dealership that just had all of his windows busted out. You know? This is where it's not, it's never simple. I mean, I think, I, when, I think when everyone wants to make it simple, when I think about like there was years ago, you know, watching, and I've just gotten to see so many different things, years ago watching a family that was torn apart, and I'm gonna change details so it's not whatever, but, uh, molestation was involved. Like there was there was abuse, and it was it was really tragic and, and terrible. And there was a whistle blowing kid in the family that just finally came out. And the family was like, "Why are you ruining the peace here?" You know, like th- this family is so united. This family is so good. And the kid was acting. And the kid was inappropriate. And the kid was wrong. Like the kid was doing wrong things. And the kid was hurting multiple people. The reality, though, is that family had tolerated this abuser in that family for so long and they just wanted to keep the peace what they didn't realize and what the pastors were trying to show them was it's a false peace like you don't have a this is not a real peace i I know you're wanting what you would call unity i can only unite myself to that which is right i cannot unite myself with that which is not so the best thing this family could do is to say we're going to have to proactively deal with this and say that and, and call a spade a spade address the oppression that's there address the wrongs that have been there and then we can move forward. That's the pro. If our country, I believe our country right now, and I think it's going to happen. So I have hope on this. I believe there's a window of opportunity right now where we can have actual closure in moving forward on things. If that does not happen, though, 
there is collateral damage that takes place. You know, so if you to say we want. We, we, we're not in favor of uncles molesting little nieces and nephews, um, but we're also against nieces and nephews acting out, making the whole family miserable, you know, and, and outing everybody on social media. Yes, you don't need to go do that, little nep- nieces and nephews, but families need to deal with their trash, you know, and that's that's got to get, that's the root, you know, so, so the root are not these riots. The root is the other stuff that's going on. So... So yeah, I mean, I so I, I totally get where you're coming from. Just like I get, listen, man. Like I, I think mo- the vast majority of cops are great. I think cops are heroes. Right. I mean, they're absolutely. I mean, they're, they're heroes laying their life. I feel sick right now for cops that lay their lives on the line. And every place they go, they. I mean, I've 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 talked to 21 year old cops that don't know anything from Adam or Eve or whatever. And they're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I just walk into certain neighborhoods. All I do is get disrespected. Like they, this is all brand new to them. Now the reality is, I know what's going through the minds of some kid in the hood that's got something going on there's a lot of psychological sociological reasons why these kids are are all right off the bat very suspicious of this 21 year old cop that could be the very least racist person in all of north america next to martin luther king or malcolm x but it doesn't matter like that guy he's walking into a system where unfortunately he's going to be dealing he will be dealing with the crimes and the sins of our past you know um i feel sick for him but that is the reality and until we de- that's why i'm in favor of dealing with things systemically and, and getting it like that but uh, but yeah and i would say you know to uh, you mentioned the business owners that are losing their property and losing their business I would say, at least the, from a Christian worldview, the response to be, should be, I'm going to grieve with them, right? That's yeah. something that should not have happened. It was unjust. And the response for a Christian is to grieve. It's to grieve. It's to be there for your brother. It's to help him. It's to encourage him. Um, and I think the challenge, though, what you have in our culture is there's a stalemate of sorts where you have this person saying, hey, would you come out of your world? and step into my world, step into my shoes. Yeah. Can you imagine my pain? And then you have on the other end, them saying, no, step into my world, step, look, I lost all of these businesses. And at one point, at some point, someone has to be willing to say, you know what? I'll be the first. I'm gonna step out of my world and I'm gonna seek to imagine your pain. And I think a lot of people don't understand, they don't understand your cause until they can imagine your pain. It's like, oh no, I can't imagine what you go through. No, no, I need you to imagine as a black man growing up, and it's not a pass, it's not a write-off, like, look, God has brought me thus far where I am now, but at the same time, would you step out of your world and imagine my reality and my pain? And that's gonna lead you to action. It's gonna lead you to say, hey, we are our brother's keepers. Like, we are responsible here in the city of Gainesville, we need to make sure there is no unarmed black men that's going to be killed by the police. We need to make sure that there is equitable resources that's equally distributed in every school. Every single business, every single citizen in Gainesville has a responsibility to ensure that. But I don't think that happens until you're able to step out of your world and begin to imagine the world of someone else, the world of those on the east side of town, if you're on the west side of town, and the east side of town to do the same. And so I think that's when you really get that unity, that synergy that we're all trying to go for. Yeah. I, don't know, I think it reflects leadership a lot. I think on a on an extreme local level, like if it's a, a parent's leadership or a business leader's leadership or a church's leadership or something like that, you know, it may be uncomfortable at first, but ultimately, like, it, you know, if it's coming from people that you respect and you've followed for a long time, you know, you have a better chance of getting that point across, right? Yeah. I think the problem is, is like we were kind of addressing, is you, you've got to address it. You've got to you've got to be humble enough to say, you know what, we were wrong here as, as a person, as a country, as a whatever. And you still have a lot of people that are 
afraid Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, whether it's because it's an election year or whatever it may be that won't take that step. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that still fractures us from this being, you know, where, where it could be a lot more unity than, than what we're seeing. Uh, there's still a lot of division and, and that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, because I think it, I, you said it, it's a ripe opportunity to, to change the rhetoric and, I, I don't. I don't want to be on the other side of this and feel like we missed the missed yeah. the mark. Well, then vote for Colin for president. Write him in. He, he's a good write-in candidate right now. There you go. Man, be careful stay, saying stuff like that. <laughs> We've already had like Colin. When are you running? When are you running for mayor? I'm like, oh, there you go. Like, let's 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 slow down there, folks. So let me spin it this way real quick, though, and it may may not be real quick, but like we, we've talked about 2020 and, and kind of joked about the the year it's been. Um, you know, uh, a cynic may look at that and be like, this is proof that there is no God. Like why this is a, if there is a God, this is a merciless God, um, that, that would put us through all of this. But a person of faith would say, this is exactly why we need God. But how do you, how do you make sense of all this to, to a believer or to a non-believer? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important to, to first acknowledge that, you know, there's a doctrine pretty much called the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign. He, he's in control of every single thing. And while at the same time he's in control of every single thing, he gives us free will. Like we have the opportunity to choose. And the reason someone says, you know, why does he give us free will? And I think it's important that the, the end goal for God is love. Like you can't force someone to love. If I didn't have a choice to choose whether I would love God or love my wife, like that's not love. I'm, I'm a robot in that manner. And so God is sovereign, which he's in control of every single thing, while at the same time, we have freedom. We have responsibility to choose or not to choose. And so in light of that framework, when you look at what's taking place now with, for instance, COVID-19, or you look at what's happening in terms of the race that's going on, in part, it's not God kind of bringing about the evil that we see in our world. It's a part of our sinfulness, it's a part of the decisions and choices that we've made. While that is true, at the same time, God is so loving and gracious, I would say to the Christian, that we know that as time passes, we see that God's intent or God's desire for us always ends up good, that he works all things out for the good of those who love him. And so as we go through time, we realize, man, that thing that I thought was so bad, COVID-19 and, and man, the families that are mourning, we're praying and we're there and we're mourning with them. I think the death toll was at 100,000. And and my dad right now is, um, he's sick, he's not feeling well, he has COVID-19 symptoms and we're waiting for the results as well. And so it's, it's hitting close to home. And yet and still, we know despite all of that, because of our faith in God being, though he's all powerful, we know that he's all loving, for the Christian at least. And the proof of that at and what gives hope and resurgence of faith is the cross, is the reality that when we look at the cross and we look at what Jesus endured, who is God in the flesh, we see God being all powerful and, and, and in control, where at the same time we see the love that Christ displayed that he was willing to go to the cross. And so for the, for the Christian, I say our hope is rooted and grounded in that. For the unbeliever, my heart, my heart really encourages them where I would ask the question, like, if God doesn't exist, what, what does it matter if COVID-19 takes all of these people? Like, if, if everything is random, if everything is happenstance, what matters if 
all of these things are taking place because there's no moral standard by which we're judging anything because God, it, God is not there. To which I would ask, how do you, what's your hope ultimately? At the end of the day, what are you hoping in? What are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your trust in? And so I would, I would encourage my plea and my belief is that our belief in Christ helps us to actually mourn and go through suffering because we know that at the end of the day, it's working and it's actually producing something for our good. So that's what I would I would share and encourage. I don't know how you endure these two pandemics, one dealing with race and the other in terms of COVID-19. How do you endure that without having belief that there is someone in control who loves you, who cares for you, who desires good towards you? And though you don't understand it now, like a little child, if they go to the doctor and they're shot with a vaccine, they can look at their parent and be like, man, that hurt. Why would you take me to go get you? See, you led me here. You told me we were going to get ice cream. You led me to this doctor. You let them shoot me. Why are you doing this? But later on, as they get older and time passes, they're going to find out a COVID-19 is going to hit and their parent led them to go get a vaccine that's going to save their lives. Likewise, for us who believe, we know that, yeah, we experience this pain and we don't fully get it. And God is omniscient and omnipotent. He's all knowing. He's all powerful. But as time passes, we're going to realize, man, he was doing it all for my good. And that's the faith and the hope that we can have when we look at the cost, when we look at the gospel. So I don't know if you would add anything to that, Mike. I'm say amen. amen. <laughs> you want to add anything? Wrap us up? I think I would just say uh, on your question right there, man, if, if you were looking at this year, you're like, this just isn't right, man. That is not right, man. That ain't right. Like I hear people say that all the time. I'm like, where did you get this notion of right? Like, like where, where did right and wrong come from? Like, I think that's a clue right there that you know something is up. Like if there is no right definer or, you know, judge, whatever. So I, I think that's a clue. If you're even, if you've ever said, you know, something like that, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today. It's a, it's an honor for us to, to be a part of this today. I mean, that's for sure. And I'm, I'm inspired by what you guys are doing because I, it just, it just feels like there's such a, I don't know, such a heart. And I know people that listen to this podcast, there's such a heart for, I think we want to be salt of the earth. You know, I think people want like, Hey, let's go make, let's go contribute to this community. I think Gainesville has a shot to be very unique. And I mean, this is, this is such an incredible community. I mean, I just think it's a beautiful vision. I think that you have, and I think that a lot of the leaders and the business people in Gainesville have, I don't know. I just think it's a very, very cool opportunity that we have right now. If we can put, when you're asking about unity and division, if we will, you know, like I'm going to show right now, this is, you know, justice, mercy, and humility. And if we could pull that off, like if we could, if we could pull off the humility part with justice, doing things right and, and being merciful, give each other a break. You know, I think there's, I think there's a ton of potential. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I'm, I, I know that I'm growing right now, you know, like I like, cause I'm very much asking like, God, what are you, what are you trying to teach me in this? Hmm. Like, what are you trying to show me right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm like 2020, it's gonna be the year to remember, God. You know, and I know that this is a great podcast. You know how I know because my leg won't stop trembling. <laughs> you know, like, but I'm so like I've I've been doing nothing but pushing myself outside of my comfort zone with conversations exactly like this one. Yep. I mean, I'll be like just super transparent. Like, I don't know what to say a lot of the times. Like, I'm just gonna let you keep dropping the mic at the end of everything, <laughs> you know? Cause I'm just like, I don't know where to go from there a lot of the times. And, and that's a very awkward place to be in as a podcast interviewer, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I'm like, I'm so far outside of my comfort zone. I know, like I, I want to be 
I want I want to be part of the good. I want to be part of the fight against yeah. you know against that evil. Um, I've somehow back in 2011, I decided to stand up and speak in front of the city commission and the mayor about business in Gainesville, mm-hmm. and that was that was the spark, right? That was the thing that. Somehow people start to say, "Hey, this guy's a this guy's a voice mm. for the small business community in Gainesville." Yep. And then that started molding this personal brand, if you will, this character of 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 being that voice. And and so now I just feel like God's really growing me personally through through this, through the trials, through the business trials. I mean, and not only that, like you talk about business, getting a business through the pandemic, <laughs> trying to make sense of everything that's happening in the world right now, the the emotional, you know, like the emotional weight of a lot of it while trying to operate a business, while trying to encourage a team. I know that there's a lot of business owners that can empathize with that. Yeah. Uh, the word that I've heard a lot lately is everything is so heavy. Mm-hmm. So heavy, mm-hmm. like I just feel so worn out. Worn yep. out. I slept till eleven o'clock in the morning the other day, like, wow. like which is like, for me, that's like, not normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you have kids. Mike knows. Yeah, you'll know it. But you have kids, like you ain't, you ain't sleeping until eleven a.m. Yeah. anymore. Yeah, I, did, I didn't yeah. know you sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I was just completely mentally and physically exhausted, and so so I. You know, for me, like these conversations help, even though I'm super uncomfortable in a lot of it, uh, it, it helps. So I'm super appreciative of you guys coming on and joining us. Uh, thank you for everything you do. I would say like, please like tell tell our audience where they can connect with you guys or with Greenhouse, like where's the best place you to- You can find Joel on the sideline at a Gator football game <laughs> okay. on a Sunday, Saturday near you. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Heidi. Yeah. Uh, are we gonna have a season, Joel? Well, hopefully we're, we're crossing. I think I think we're pretty close to there's so much so much in, on the line. Yeah. We have to have a season. How many players? Yeah. How many st- fans can go to the game? Oh, that is a I don't know. I, I know for sure we're probably going to have a season in terms of fans. Uh, don't I don't know. know about that. Joel's yeah. got me on that field before. I might just have to be one of the guest chaplains to be <laughs> able to go to a game. Would that be? To have a football know, game with exactly. no yelling and no screaming and no exactly. cheering. Like, I guess you can put it in and have you know it monitored at a specific level for each game that you play and have it fair. I don't know. That's going to be really awkward, but I know they're working through the kinks of that. And so that's where we can find you guys. We can also find you at Greenhouse Church. Greenhouse you Church. Can, yeah, what's what's the, the website is greenhousechurch.org. And then yeah. Greenhouse Church. But there's ten, tr- all the there's a whole bunch of good churches in yes. this town. I will say that though, like I mean, there, there's this is there's a bunch of really really great communities that are going on here. So so we love our church. We're company guys, but but we love the, we love every church in town. To be honest, cool, hmm. great. This is a lot of fun, Mike. Final thoughts, final words. And it's just it's so much to to reflect Process. on. Yeah, it's, it's one heavy. of those it's, it's one heavy. of those things that like you know I participate in and I get so deep in thought about and I, I can't wait to watch it after it airs so are I you married no why no you want us to find you a wife <laughs> I, I got my eye on, on you, one already okay on, awesome. t- tell me her initials and I'll just uh, start praying about those initials MW <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you she knows she's my, she's my living girlfriend she knows that's awesome she, she's giving me uh, nudges on the rings already so. she's saying it's time yeah yeah you know she you think she's the one I have for a while yeah 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 
<laughs> no, it's exposed right here on this podcast. If yeah. it wasn't, yeah, she no, if she wasn't already the know, she knows now. MW. Uh, so well, great. Um, I, I don't have my show notes anymore, so I don't know where to like. And <laughs> Mike, Mike's writing down the sermon for Sunday. Everybody, that's right. Um, but no, I usually like to wrap up and tell everybody: make sure that you're sharing this podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast. Get a text from me. I actually send. You can actually respond back to these too, and I get them. But if you if you text W H O A G and V to four eight four eight four eight, you will get a notification. Hey, episodes out. Check it out. Watch it. That comes from me. It is actually me. A lot of people don't believe that, though. Thanks, Crime Prevention. Crime Prevention? Yeah, Crime Prevention Security Systems for sponsoring this episode. And, uh, you know, share this with somebody. Please share This is an important conversation. Share it with those people in your life. And, um, guys, thanks again. Thanks, guys. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast. The podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. 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 (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you later, everybody. Bye.